This is On Your Radar, a podcast series we record at WGN Radio here in Chicago. I'm John Williams. We record our podcast series with the clinical staff at Rosecrans. And the title for this podcast is How Do We Build a Healthier Society? I'm only chuckling to myself there because typically these podcasts tend to focus on an individual and what we can do to give people ideas about leading healthier lives. How do we generate a healthier society? Abby Nelson, Rosecrans Therapeutic Recreational Coordinator or Recreation Coordinator is here to maybe help answer that question. Abby, how are you? Great, thank you. And Matt Quinn, a regional director of Rosecrans Chicagoland. Uh, Matt, welcome. And what do you do, Matt, for a living? Yeah, so generally I oversee our five suburban locations for Rosecrans, both operationally and clinically. So that's help make, making sure the programming's running smoothly, but also because I do have a, a counseling and clinical background, making sure that I could step in and consult with the staff, help with the staff in terms of any issues that might be might be coming up for them. How about you, Abby? What's your day? So I usually work with the therapeutic recreation team in the residential setting and oversee the creation and uh, facilitation of experiences uh, that help support a healthy recovery. I haven't heard those words together that often, therapeutic recreation. Yes. Uh, so using recreation intentionally um, to create therapeutic effects. So it's a clinical way that we can draw on leisure and recreation, those innate interests that we have, and help that drive our recovery, our healthy recovery. Well, that already makes me think about not just me as an individual, but me in the community. Absolutely. Then, right? right. It's a ripple effect. But I wouldn't imagine that that would be a great motivation. Like if I have an issue or if I'm angry at the world, world or whatever it is that's driving my bad choices <laughs> um why do I care about the rest of you all? You know, how is that a motivation to be a better person? It's not necessarily the initial thought process, right? So when we have someone in treatment, the initial uh, response is individualized. And so what am I doing in this moment? How am I controlling my mood or my affect or my reactions? What am I doing to impact the rest of my day? And then hopefully over time, we're starting to build some insight. Well, this feels good and I'm seeing changes in myself and I feel better. So then how does that impact my kids or my family? And so it's a slow build out, but it always starts centralized on the client yeah society's almost too big of a word there but if you said my family correct and my workmates and the people that i love mm-hmm. well yeah i i don't want them to suffer for my my issues correct and sometimes it's role modeling right so it's not necessarily that other people are suffering but as soon as i start making healthy choices there's an accumulative effect of that the more you link those healthy choices together uh your work you don't live in a silo you don't live in a bubble and so those things are noticed and seen and so hopefully you start building that out in other people so matt what is a healthy family or society look like i mean what's what's the goal here yeah like you mentioned that's a big topic so it, it really, it does require, you do have to break it down because otherwise it is too big to, to wrap around. And the way I think about it, probably the easiest way to break it down would be, be probably behaviors and attitudes. Mm-hmm. You know, behaviors, the most obvious ones being self-care, right? Sleeping well, eating well, eating, you know, uh, taking care of yourself in general. But it's also taking care of others, you know, recognizing that interconnectedness, recognize the community and the family and taking care of others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with attitudes, it's trying to be positive. It's 
being collaborative, being cooperative, you know, being motivated, being productive, all of those things, and then promoting all of those things. So if you break it down into some of those more healthy behaviors and attitudes, it makes it a little bit more palatable or, or something you grab onto than this big idea of a healthy society. Right. But when you see it, you, you, you almost recognize it. Or you see healthy companies, healthy families. Um, they, they do seem to have maybe some things in common, uh, certain positive functionality. They seem to be getting along okay, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and you sort of sit there and admire that and wish or wonder you could be that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the question is, how do you get there if you're not? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine the pandemic has kind of made all of this more difficult. Would you say so? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's created a lot of isolation and taken away resources where generally we had them. And so being able to think creatively and how can I use what I have or when I'm limited in areas, what can I do differently? Um, and it's really forced us all to take a look at that. People have developed unhealthy coping mechanisms. Because mm-hmm, it's available, right? And so I use social media, television, those sorts of sort of passive leisures um, as, a, as time fillers. And unfortunately, just like anything, anything in moderation is okay. But when you're stringing together those choices over and over and over again, they're not fueling you in the way you should be fueled. It's not fueling that soul or that drive. And, you know, we're talking about these interconnected circles, right? Mm-hmm. Your family, friends, community. Correct. And, and you, need, you need muscles, you need certain muscle memory with with friends and with the community to be connected to those and for those couple couple two or three years some of us may have kept the muscles strong with our families right but those next two circles with friends and with the community those muscles got weak just simply because we weren't in the gym working them out and so i think that's what we're seeing now is people trying to get back in the gym and work out those those muscles with reconnecting with with friends, you know, with friends and with the community. And yeah. I, I've been encouraged by what I've seen with, I think people are starting to get back out there and, and build those muscles yeah. again. And it's looked different. And sometimes that's a challenge. What do you mean it's looked different? Well, just the way that we engage with some of those resources, engage with friends, the, what we were allowed to do versus what we weren't allowed to do that shifted during the pandemic. And it's been a slow process kind of getting back to what we thought was normal or easy before that. And what the two of you are saying reminds me so much of my conversations with your colleagues in other departments at Rosecrans who are dealing with uh, kids in school, mm-hmm. with adolescents. Talk about not having muscle memory. They, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't been in the gym long anyway. Mm-hmm. And having taken them out for a few years, I hear from teachers uh, and parents that the behavior or the maturity of the kids that come back is is – is insufficient. You know, they didn't grow. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really had to sort of relearn social behavior, that sort of thing. Well, and they're already coming in just by being teenagers yeah. and having that yeah. undeveloped brain yeah. and all those undeveloped skills. Yeah. They were already coming in, not not having those developed. So then you then you take away those other circles, those friends, the, the community. Then they're already starting behind the behind the eight ball with them. But Netflix isn't a bad thing, is it? No, not in and of itself. Right. But if that's all you're doing, anything is it's all about moderation. And how do you if you're choosing, you know, passive leisure, then how are you also choosing something that fuels your fellowship or your connection with your family or your friends? How are you choosing something that fuels your physical wellness? Do I have to do that, though? Like if I'm trying to break an addiction or just relax because I'm suffering from high anxiety, um, watching 
a good series on TV for the weekend manages my weekend. What's mm-hmm. right? It's but you just set a limit for yourself too in doing so. And so you're right. Sometimes I need a movie that makes me laugh. Right. I just need something that makes me smile. And that's okay. That's actually wonderful. But if that's all you're doing, and you're missing all these other aspects of your life, that's where we start to struggle. And so we've leaned on this very passive all or nothing kind of mentality. And we as a society, if we can get back to building those connections and building those resources and engaging with each other, um, that's how we affect the community as a whole. But the clinical term would be a a grounding technique if it's used in doses. Right then Netflix, I use it all the time as a way to distract. Mm-hmm. You know, distractions can be incredibly healthy. If you're really stressed and you're ruminating on something that's stressing you out, to be able to, for a, for a certain amount of time, distract yourself with something like Netflix, that's, that's very healthy. Absolutely. But I guess the goal is if the, if the cable goes out, you will still be a, a happier, functional person. And if that's just the thing that's sort of putting you on the shelf for a while, you're not really getting better, are you? Not necessarily. It's not a cure. Well, what is, though? I mean, so what, what are some of the proactive steps I take to m- make myself not only a better person, but my family and community better? What, what, am I, what do we do? That's a really, it's complex. And so every individual, it's going to be a different answer. And so via counseling, via therapy, residential treatment, whatever it is, um, and partnering that with collaboration, partnering that with a higher power spiritual connection, partnering that with um, just having leisure interests and and building out um Uh, support systems for yourself all of those things once again that accumulative effect um, will will make an impact but also not overwhelming yourself too much with with sometimes keeping not easy but simple in other words what's the next Mm -hmm. what's the next helpful thing i could do for for my family member for my community what's the next thoughtful thing i could do for my you know just constantly asking yourself those things versus having this idealized image of what you could be as a, as a family member or friend, just what, what that next giving or helpful or mm-hmm. thoughtful thing would be. Just kind of one day at a time, one yeah. step at a time, huh? Right. Um, is that, in fact, um, you wake up in the morning, should you have a little mental checklist, or am I being too rote here? Um, should I each day sort of give myself a little laundry list of things to do? I think that's certainly helpful. Come up with an agenda or a game plan, um, but also being able to be adaptable and flexible because we know things happen, life happens constantly. And so being able to put yourself in a position to respond to things and be able to change and adapt along the way um, and not be so black or white in our thinking um, and rigid in our approach is going to be important too. Yeah, I get that. But what are we talking about here anyway? I mean, this makes me a happier, healthier person, my community a, a better place to be in, my family and so forth. But are we talking about means to combat addiction and mental health? Or are we just talking about citizenship here? Well, I think the two blend. You know, I think when you're talking about somebody that does those things, you know, it's built, it's, it's, it's baked into and woven in through the 12 steps is all of the characterological elements. Certainly there's, there's the powerlessness and the higher power and all of that. But as you move through those steps, it's about character. And that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. is, is being good to yourself, treating yourself well, treating others well, and really making those a habit. Um, so does Rosecrans uh, endorse the 12 steps? Uh, is that pretty universal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And and you just said something about self care. Um, I suppose it's. Uh, are, are, are you suggesting that um, I need to, to be almost selfish about it? Right. I need to think about me first here. Yeah. I think to if a you point. If, I, yeah, if you don't take care of yourself, I think first. Cer- certainly it depends on where you're at in this process. Mm-hmm. If you're early on, I think that's it's important to focus more on that. But I think as you get more grounded in that, it could be more balanced with with being being more outwardly giving and, and thoughtful and helpful yeah. toward other people. And about recreation and therapy and the intersection of those, um, is it uh, joining a tennis league or a bowling team? Is that something that we should be thinking about? What, what kind of recreational – how do you define that, I guess? Yeah, it's really umbrella, and that's a really great question, and it's different for everybody. Your interests are going to be very different from mine and be very different from Matt's. And so being able to explore that and what that means for people – and create opportunities for ourselves. That's the part about the 12 steps we were just talking about, being open-minded and being willing to try those things um, is sometimes very difficult for people. And so when we're in our early stages of recovery, when we give ourselves opportunity and we try new things, um, we discover new hobbies and habits that maybe we never knew were a possibility for us before um, or reconnect with things that we did prior to whatever disruption that we're experiencing and we're reconnecting with those things. Um, it could be playing the guitar for you. It could be going for a jog for me. It could be sailing. I don't know, for Matt. Um, but all of those things are individual choice. They're all recreation and leisure. Are they uh, best if they're done with other people? Walking can be a solitary thing. Should we imagine ourselves doing group activities? I think it's a balance. I think it's a balance, and it's based on what you need in that moment. I think there's a definitely time and place where solitude is a good thing, going for a walk, being in nature. <laughs> practicing some level of mindfulness. Um, but there's also a time and a place where stepping outside your comfort zone and going to the softball game that you haven't ever attended and you don't know anybody, but you're going to put yourself out there um, is a huge step for some people, hmm. that social connection. Yeah. I'm also thinking about the attitude that you take when you interact with people, too. I, I don't know what comes first, the cart or the horse here, but presumably you'll have a a good or positive attitude about Mm -hmm. it. But maybe you don't unless you're getting a positive, you know, experience. And so I I suppose it's kind of a circular consideration. Absolutely. Yeah, and it could go both ways. You'll Mm -hmm. have people that'll enter into situations socially very, very apprehensive about how it's going to go. That's what I'm Really almost kind of expecting the worst. But, Mm -hmm. But if they're armed with the tools and mm-hmm. if and have really worked on the tools that we that we try to teach them mm-hmm. then they could come out of that even if it was just okay mm-hmm. really feeling much better about doing it again mm-hmm. uh, talk a little bit about those tools i've got a little list here and i'm not sure if these are the same sorts of things but focus on what we uh, can control introduce healthy coping skills uh disconnection is what you've spoken about i think from maybe passive sources of recreation Mm -hmm. to more uh, active sources of recreation but can you just give me some ideas about about this Uh, I've, i've i've mentioned a few because you just mentioned them but what are some tools that i can practice to uh be a healthier or more proactive person what comes to mind Really, it's it's hard because it's going to depend so much on the individual. You know, if they're really struggling more so with 
you know, the anxiety or they have an anxiety disorder. I'm always going to lean very heavily on the serenity piece. The, the, the what do you have control of or what, or, or what do you not have control over? Because I always believe in most situations that is at the core of what leads to an anxiety disorder is people just really struggle with finding a way to let go of things they don't have control of or, over or or having the courage to to control the things that they can. Whereas if you have somebody that's really depressed, it's going to be it's going to be much different. We were talking in the waiting room about even just uh, what type of modality that you use with a client. You know, do you use a cognitive behavioral therapy that's more thought-based? That's a little more what I would call left brain for somebody that's maybe a little bit more analytical. Or do you use dialectical behavioral therapy that's a little bit more emotionally based and based on acceptance of emotions and and those types of things? So it's it's really hard. You have to really take it on an individual basis. What's going to work and not's going to work. What's going to work and not going to work, depending mm-hmm. on kind of what category their struggles are are in. It's interesting when we do commercials for Rosecrans, we say they treat the individual, not the illness. Mm-hmm. They find out where you are, what's going to work best for you, and then they craft. This isn't a commercial for Rosecrans. I, I promise you that. But <laughs> that that really resonates with what we've been saying on the radio about how you would attack something like this. I know sometimes I'm lying there in bed at night and I'm thinking about all of the things I did wrong, or all of mm-hmm. the complexities that I'm going to have tomorrow or this year with my kids and my job and my health or whatever it is. And man, you can build up this mass of negativity, you know, and you never go to sleep then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, oh, right. gosh, I know. I mean, some of the things you guys are talking about, control the things you can control, have a positive action plan, get out in the world. Uh, whew, I guess we should all do some of that. Mm-hmm. And give yourself some grace. You know, sometimes it's hard and it's uh, being able to just be in that moment and accept the thought for what it is and give yourself some grace and be okay with tomorrow I will tackle this. Give myself some grace, some forgiveness, you mean? Forgiveness, yeah. Yeah. So being overwhelmed, our thought processes typically become very overwhelming, right? And when we ruminate on those, it doesn't necessarily get any better or turn them off, but that's what we think. I'm going to focus all my energy on this thing and it's going to make it better. Or sometimes we need to let it sit for a minute. Or there's the judgment of the thought or the emotion that adds a whole other layer and, and almost fuel yes. where you're you're not only having the emotion or the thought which happened to all of us right but then you're judging it and you're saying to yourself i can't be thinking that right now i shouldn't be thinking right now i, I can't be that only accelerates it versus if you were to say in those moments you're to say oh, oh uh, i don't want to be thinking about this right now but it happens then you're going to lessen its power, you lessen its effectiveness. You might still need to get out of bed and watch Netflix, but <laughs> but in, in in those moments, it's gonna it's gonna take down some of the power of it if you don't judge yourself or judge those thoughts or emotions so harshly. And that's really at the core of of DBT. Mm-hmm. I, I know it's it's almost a kind of self-deprecation, but I know people, too, who will go, oh, I'm such an idiot, or I'm so stupid, or I'm so, you know, and it's it, maybe they'll even verbalize it to other people around them, and it's seen as low comedy. But um, that can prey on you, I would imagine, if that's sort of your, you know, your, your factory setting. Well, I'm just an idiot. Ha, ha, ha. But, you know, yeah. that doesn't help you in any way. It's common for sure. There's a lot of people that uh, – 
own a persona or own something, right? I'm a bad person because, or I'm an idiot because. And so those core belief systems, that's part of what we do at Rosecrans is we have to challenge those things and then backfill it with experiences or ways to show that that is, that core belief system might not be accurate. I'm not a terrible person. So what have you done or what can you do to show that that is not true, right? Because we get stuck in that belief system in order to challenge it having an experience helps and that's generally what leads to depression is that habitual and repeated judgment of our own being our own being human really but we just repeatedly judge the being human the negative the negative thoughts the negative feelings over and over again and then and then that leads to depression but i want to be an egoist i don't want to be braggadocious so rather than saying oh i'm just the the greatest thing ever i think some of us say oh i made that mistake oh that's because i'm an idiot because i'm a dope and um i I, i'm i'm wondering if (laughs) that's uh you know which is the more dangerous or delusional path to take uh you know what you know people who you think they could dial down the self-regard mm-hmm. a little bit and probably be a better person for mm-hmm. it but m- maybe better to lean into that than the other one i guess huh? yeah i mean humility would be the opposite of that and i think that's that character defect that we talk all about all the time we all have it no matter what it is it can be one end of the spectrum or the other and if we're not acknowledging that or having insight about that character defect we can't actually learn how to help ourselves manage it um and so worrying about that for myself i can't do that for matt i can't do that for you um but how can i do that for myself is a struggle for people so in what you do then abby uh, for rosecrans therapeutic recreation could you describe a scenario for me or a client for me who had whatever issue and recreation was therapeutic for them? Right. There's so many examples and every client under the sun, we've seen symptomology and characteristics. So there's been a lot of clients and we can use the adolescent sites specifically um, that come in with depressive symptoms um, that uh, very down on themselves. Their self-worth is very limited. Um, They don't have necessarily a lot of autonomy because they're not necessarily picking things their life has been dictated for them in a lot of ways and so for clients to come in we'll use our garden as an example it's not necessarily a typical intervention you would say we're going to use a serenity garden for the adolescent population teenage population Um, but when they start exploring that space those depressive symptoms that self-autonomy improve significantly how we engage in those spaces clients start exploring the world around them a little bit a lot them to explore parts of themselves that they aren't familiar with and so we do a lot of metaphor building and 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 analogies in those spaces and it helps clients gain insight and so we'll see a significant improvement in affect we'll see a significant improvement in self-worth we'll see decreased stress levels we'll see decreased anxiety but what's the activity that they're engaging Just, in it so it depends it can be anything from a garden mindfulness tour what does that mean so we go out into the garden we can use our natural spaces to connect with the things around us we use a lot of an, uh, analogy building with a japanese garden so we're I've talking se- about concepts are you talking about the one in rockford correct i've seen it it's beautiful right. it's serene mm-hmm. but as i'm walking through how how am i do w- w- am i speaking out loud to you a counselor about 
what? It could be. It could be something as simple as just being in that space, right? Really? And just being in nature will help open that space. From a therapeutic recreation standpoint, we can utilize that space to help with mindfulness skill building. So we can do visualization out there. We can do a lot of analogy building. Um, We can talk about what is our sensory connection with the garden. We just talked about grounding as an experience. What does that actually physically feel like in the garden? So I'm going to tell you what I'm smelling and seeing and how beautiful it is. Could be. And that's going to be helpful to me? It could be. It could be just the idea of feeling safe, right? I'm in a space that doesn't feel institutionalized, that doesn't feel like just a clinical approach. I'm in a space that's supernatural. I hear the birds. All of those things impact your psyche and your affect. What would a visualization example be? So closing your eyes, being able to listen to the sound of the waterfall, allowing yourself just to take that space in. But am I imagining a better version of myself in that moment too? Could be. Could be it's different for everybody. It could be just allowing yourself a healthy distraction. We talked about the easy button versus simple button, right? Easy button for some people will just be the social media. A simple choice might be going outside and sitting in quiet and listening to the birds and recognizing the sounds around you. It's an easy thing to do, focusing on our breath, allowing that to cleanse kind of what we have, the clutter in our brain, allowing ourselves the space to do that is a simple concept, but it's not necessarily an easy choice. I would imagine people might be surprised by how efficacious that could be. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds simple. I'm sure it's not, but it would seem to me like I could go for a walk in the woods or in the nature preserve or something like that and try this on my own. Mm Mm-hmm. And the ideal outcome is not just that, but it, mm-hmm. that self-awareness of your, your immediate environment is ideally meant to then translate inward, where mm-hmm. your self-awareness of your emotional state then starts to come along with that. Mm-hmm. And then you're building, if you're starting to build your self-awareness of your emotional state, then when you combine that with the tools to be able to manage it, then you're really uh, starting. To, so it's really meant to be kind of. I don't want to say a starting point, but just building overall self-awareness, starting kind of externally, and then it ha- having it translate internally. Yeah. yeah. Sort of erase the board of the clutter so you can start to work on the things that you need to work on. Exactly. And then what, and then, and then what happens? So if I have done that, now I'm going to – what are the more uh, proactive, if you will – things that i will do now yeah, after that we're going to do it again and then we might do it in the fitness group we might do it in a visual arts group we might do it in an expressive arts group we might do it with our counselor we might do it in a leisure education group repetition becomes very important that accumulative effect becomes very important and am i substituting these positive behaviors for the negative behaviors or I mean, how do we get from there to there then? Um, is it, I mean, there's only 24 hours a day and you're going to sleep for eight, seven of them maybe. So if I'm recreating or interacting with people, um, uh, I don't know that that cures my anxiety or addiction or impulses, but I'm at least doing something positive in lieu of them. Or, or maybe, in fact, that is how I slay the beast, you know? I, I don't know the answer. That didn't sound like a question, though, did it? But I'm wondering if if those activities are an end all, right? Like that's what you do now. Because I actually know somebody who was trying to get over some issues in their life, so then they were an exercise machine. But when they stopped exercising, the issues were still there. You know? Yeah, that's why that uh, collaborative approach is really important. There's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's not a one-fix approach for anybody that we see. And so when we take 
a lot of different approaches and we practice it habitually in our in our treatment um, the goal is to change those patterns and those reactions that you have and start demonstrating insight about how you function in the world around you um, and then continue to grow on that you're never there you're never there. You're constantly working towards how do I, what's the next best choice or what can I continue to do to support myself? If I work out run one time, I can't go run a marathon, right? So you have to continue to work at it and practice it over and over and over and again. And a, sim- a simpler way to think about it is so much of addiction, and I know this has talk, been talked about here quite a bit, is just not being able to tolerate uncomfortable feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it this way, a lot of what we're talking about is foundational, but even just to get some to, someone to the point where, where they can just start to tolerate through all of these things we're talking about, can start to tolerate distress and to start to tolerate these negative feelings. That in and of itself is a huge skill that I think can be underestimated in terms of getting you really quite a ways down the road to recovery. Absolutely. And one last thing I just want you two to reflect on, <clears throat> because um, we started to talk about this originally, and maybe we should come back to it. Um, think about the ripple effect, the negative ripple effects that happen when somebody in a family is injured or is shot in Chicago or whatever. Uh, we always think about the victim, but then what about their mom and dad and their brothers and sisters and the classmates and their teachers? So there's this really negative ripple effect that comes out. And when we count the uh, shootings or injuries or deaths in Chicago, I don't think we put a, the appropriate number on it. It's incalculable. Um, Similarly, I suppose, when a person gets healthier, that makes their kids' lives better and their colleagues' lives better. And if the kid's life is better, then maybe the teacher's life is better because that's a better kid in school. I mean, just imagine the the positive ripple effects you can send out. Absolutely. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because Mm -hmm. then it's an interconnectedness model Mm -hmm. versus it being that recovery is all about me, Yeah, which is kind of that – Addiction is all about me too, mm-hmm. right? But if you think about recovery, yes, it's about you, but it's about that. And, and really, I think emphasizing and focusing on that is really important. Yeah. I don't know if that's motivation or reward or whatever, but I, to me, just now, that seems to be a pretty powerful concept. I don't know. Do, do people appreciate maybe when they're in the throes of addiction or some high anxiety situation, the impact they're having on other people around them? Maybe they don't even know or notice. A lot of times they do. They're, they're so ashamed of it. But at the same time, they, it, they can't even think about it too much or else it just becomes that so debilitating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, any last thoughts from uh, you? Let's start with Abby about um, either the role that the individual's health plays in the community or, or vice versa. Yeah, I think just being able to take steps, intentional steps to take care of yourself and when you're give your space yourself the space to do that, there is that positive ripple effect, and you will have a difference, and you will have an impact in your life when you're when you put yourself in that position. You know, I'm thinking about like uh, I forget what the analogy is, but it's something about a drop of water is just a drop of water, but eventually it fills the bucket. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I think there's something similar to what the two of you have been saying along those lines. Uh, Matt, what about you? Yeah, I think. Th- you opened with this idea of a healthy society being such a big topic. But I think if everybody was to just break it down like we've talked about too, those first three ripples, right? The first three circles, being just being a good family member, being a good friend, trying to find ways to help in the community. If, if everyone was just to do that, 
then then healthy society is going to take care of itself. Probably healthy society then makes it easier for you to manage as an individual too. Yeah. Hmm. That's uh, Matt Quinn. He's the regional director of Rosecrans Chicagoland and Abby Nelson as a Rosecrans Therapeutic Recreation Coordinator. Both of you, thank you. Thanks, John. This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, help is just a click or call away. Click on rosecrans.org or call 866-330-8729 for more guidance and information. Rosecrans, life's waiting.